Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. All right, Ian, uh, pretty exciting stuff. We get to talk about the start of the Denver Broncos season. Uh, we're going to hit up on the uh, the Giants uh, Giants game first, and I think that's just a really good place for us to start. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, obviously, we've got a lot to go over. There's there's going to be some stuff that we definitely want to get to, but I'm pretty excited right now just to have the opportunity to talk about Broncos football and the start of the season and everything that's going on uh, with, with the league in general and how the Broncos are going to be able to I don't know. I, I feel pretty good. I feel like maybe they're going to potentially be able to start the season with a win. I, I don't know. We haven't seen it in a while. It's been two years since the Broncos won in September. So the fact that there's potential for them to start off storming through the gate, 1-0, and and to do it on the road in an East Coast game is even bigger. And as it stands now, the Broncos are at least a minus two-and-a-half favorite some sports books have it at three. So obviously they have the potential to, to get started on the right foot and have the Teddy Bridgewater era commence with a win. Yeah. You know, and this game is interesting because there's, you know, sort of this idea that, you know, what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley, because it looks like he might be starting or he might not be starting. We don't really know. Uh, I know that's maybe the biggest question mark for, for the defense. I know you, you mentioned before we started recording, uh, the struggles that they have had in the run game that defense has. So that will be something to pay attention to. But it does feel like, at least the way that I see things sort of playing out, it feels like things are kind of falling in place for Denver to get an opportunity to start with a win. And the, you know, the process of going through preseason and, you know, the training camp and the offseason stuff and the quarterback battle, and we're kind of done with all that. And now we just get to watch Teddy Bridgewater be the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Vic Fangio seems to be in a good place with his defense. They are uh, going to have pretty much everybody available. There's there's no real concerns right now injury-wise, which I know I should, probably shouldn't say because who knows what will happen between now and then. But it is interesting to note just that how well things seem to be kind of lining up and there are a few things that might play against the Broncos and we'll, we'll jump in on those here in a second but it feels like just on the field if you just look at just on the field on, on paper how it looks and how it should play out I think the Broncos have a really good shot here and a lot of it to me comes from the question marks that you have with the Giants you know I mentioned Saquon Barkley and his health and we don't know if he's going to start or not but it doesn't stop there they have issues at quarterback in my opinion Daniel Jones, you know, Danny Dimes, who knows what he is. That's one to me that, as we know, and having watched the Broncos over the course of the last five seasons, if quarterback's a question mark, that means your game is a question mark every single week. 
to me, the key to this game for the Broncos to get that first win in September in two years. And the preview story I wrote at playcolorado.com, <clears throat> Broncos hope to finally storm out of the gate in season opener. To me, the key is to have a fast start on offense and defense. They need to they need to come out, and if they get the ball on offense first, move the ball down the field and get a touchdown, whether it's on a huge play from Teddy Bridgewater to Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton or K.J. Hamler, or it's a methodical drive down the field that's 10 plays and eats seven to nine minutes of clock, so be it. But they need to, they need to start fast. If they start on defense first, at least get a three and out and get the ball back to the offense, who then – goes down the field and gets a touchdown. To me, that is the key to this game. If they want to start off with that first one in September in two years, that's what they have to do. Yeah, and if you look at Vic Fangio and, and what he needs, I think he needs a September win. We've talked about this a few times. Vic Fangio is a really good defensive coach. He has issues as a head coach in things like clock management. He has issues with understanding game flow in my opinion when it just comes to an entire game versus only having to focus on a defense and so for him it's imperative that he shows that he can grow as a head coach that he can get better right because he has had some of those issues and we're you know you're going to hear from people well why couldn't we go through the growing pains with Drew Locke that's not really what we're going to talk about here but we have been going through growing pains with Vic Fangio and he's got to put together a good September, in my opinion, he's got to show that he's gotten better at some of those things that he struggled with and against the Giants on the road, uh, you know, back east. This is an opportunity for him to actually show as a head coach that he's made some adjustments to the way that he approaches the game that will benefit the whole team, not just make his defense great, which is wonderful and great and fantastic and, and amazing. But also it kind of leaves a little bit to be desired when you're the head coach and you've got to manage everything else around you. The one thing that benefits the Broncos this Sunday is we all know the struggles the Broncos have on the East Coast. But what helps them this week is the game isn't played until 225 Mountain Time. So instead of playing the, the typical 11 a.m. Mountain Time early kickoff game on the East Coast, <clears throat> they're able to go at 225. So that is in line with the preparation that they're going to have throughout the course of the season since that's when they play normal times at home. So their preparation isn't going to get thrown through for a loop. They're not going to have to wake up early and, and get ready for the preparation as they normally would for an 11 a.m. game throughout the course of the week. Yeah, it's a really good point, too, because we know, we've, we saw just a couple of years ago, they started the season really well. Uh, I believe Trevor Simeon was the uh, – the quarterback at the time, so this might have been, was it 2016 or 17? I can't remember which. And uh, they went into Buffalo, played that early East Coast game, and then they never recovered the rest of the season. That that was one of those, uh, maybe it it sort of sh you know showed or highlighted the deficiencies of that team. But it's the time thing that I think is going to be, like you said, a big thing that helps them. They will not have to adjust to more than just the travel because the time will be like they're playing back home normally. And I think that that's important. The other thing to note about this game that will be uh, an issue for them is the emotion of the weekend. Uh, we are uh, going to be watching a football game the day after the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And clearly back in New York, that's going to be it's – it's a big deal around the country, obviously, especially with some of the things that have been going on in the news recently, which we're not going to get into – but there is going to be a lot of emotion around that 20-year anniversary of 9-11 and the way that that particular moment and that event in history impacted, yes, it impacted the country, but specifically that area, right, the New York area and the people who live there, they are going to be, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of emotion in that. There's going to be a lot of feeling going on, and that's going to translate onto the field. The, the players will feel that. The players will have uh, that impact them in some way. And it can be a positive. It can be a negative. Obviously, uh, you know, all of the ceremony that you're going to see, the pomp and circumstance, the, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of flag waving and, and things like that. That's going to have, uh, uh, it's going to, it's going to make playing in that game that much more heightened the experience of it because of just what's going on around the game, not just the game itself. And I think that's where leadership like Von Miller 
is going to play a key role in all of this because he's been in a situation where there's been a lot of emotion playing in a Super Bowl. Now, this is a completely different situation. This is uh, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, and I'm with you. There's going to be a lot of emotion in MetLife Stadium come Sunday, but I think this is where it's important to have a guy like Von Miller, even Teddy Bridgewater, who's been around the league, to, to let them know there, there's going to be a lot of emotion at the beginning, but once the game kicks off, it's a football game. So just put your focus on that. You can have the emotion. Uh, I don't know how many of these players were even alive 20 years. I mean, obviously, most of them were, depending on how old they are as rookies, but uh, most of them were probably around 10. Were they even old enough to know? So I, not to diminish any of that, but it, it, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's just important to have the players and even the coaches just tell them if you get through the, uh, the, the pomp and circumstance, the emotion leading up to kickoff as soon as it does, it's still a football game. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and it is sort of interesting to note, just like most of these players are guys who they may have opinions on things that took place, but they were clearly too young to experience. I mean, I, you and I were both in college at the time. I, I remember waking up uh, the day after and uh, the Broncos had played the night before um, and, and, and you kind of forgot what happened immediately because the world changed right then and there. And a lot of the guys who are playing, yes, they – they saw it or they were around for it or it was something that happened in their lifetime. But uh, you know, the example I use is, is a lot of times I'll, t- I'll use the challenger explosion as an example. I was alive for the challenger yeah. explosion. It didn't impact my life in the same way as it impacted people's lives who were five, six, seven years older than me. And then, and beyond they, they look at it in a much different way. Yes. Tragic, but also it just didn't hit me the same way. It, I didn't have the ability to understand it. I think that's kind of the same thing for a lot of these guys but they've lived in a world post that where the the change is far greater than whatever the change was following the challenger uh you know explosion obviously not to not to make light of that because that's not the intention here but it will probably weigh less heavily on them than it does on somebody who's a little older and whose whose life experience was was drastically changed by it and it's going to be an important game. I mean, obviously every team wants to win their first game of the season. And as we've noted multiple times now, the Broncos haven't won a September game in two years. It's been a while. So it's going to be important to get this first win because after these first three games with the Giants, Jaguars, and Jets, it gets very difficult for the Broncos. So start on the right foot, let the Teddy Bridgewater era commence with a win and go from there. Yeah, I like that. So just kind of looking at the game and, and and thinking about what could happen, there's a few different things, a few different scenarios that I can see playing out. But the one that, that I keep coming back to is this sort of feeling of the fact that this defense, the Denver Broncos defense, is going to be very good this year. And they are going to set the tone. We've talked about tone setting a lot. I remember back in the Super Bowl year, we talked about Aqib Tlaib being the tone setter, right? We talked about that defense and how they set the tone. I think this defense can be similar in that way. Not necessarily the same kind of defense, not necessarily the same style, but more so the same idea of everything's going to play off the defense. Everything is going to be a part of what happened on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that they can go out and set the tone, then the offense is going to be able to play off of that. And we are going to have an opportunity to see Teddy Bridgewater use those weapons that we're all so excited about. Use a returning Cortland Sutton. Use Jerry Judy in his second year and and you know his ability to get open. Use KJ Hamler on a you know deep ball. Javante Williams and, and Melvin Gordon sort of carrying the load with the run game. There's there are some things that are going to happen here offensively that I think plays off of what the defense is going to give to them. And I think that's going to be field position turnovers. I I think this defense is fired up to make some things happen, knowing that they are as good as they are, but not really having the impact that they needed to have last year looking at, and we've talked about this. They didn't score a single defensive touchdown. They really didn't have that many turnovers. They they are going to be hungry for that. And I, I think we may see some of that against the giants on Sunday. 
that's why it's so imperative to have a fast start because once you get that first score, it allows the defense to do what it's does what it does best, and that's pressure the quarterback. You have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, and then Malik Reed. You have Shelby Harris and Draymond Jones. So you have the ability to get after the quarterback. And now you have a secondary that's considered the best in football. So if you're able to get a lead, that allows the defense to focus on getting to Daniel Jones. And to me, that is the key to this game is a fast start. If the Broncos come out and they look sluggish, you're giving a chance to a team that shouldn't be in it. There's too many question marks around the Giants right now, even with Saquon Saquon Barkley, because even if he does play, He's probably going to be on a pitch count. The last thing you want to do is have Saquon Barkley start to go off. Because to me, the biggest question mark around this defense is run defense. Yeah, you're right. And And that's my key to the game, just to kind of jump in, and I don't mean to cut you off, but my key to the game is stopping Saquon Barkley because to me, he's the only real weapon that they have. I, I believe Evan Ingram is, if he's not injured, he's banged up already. Uh, there, you know, you mentioned issues with, with Danny dimes, not knowing what he is. There's issues on the offensive line. So my key to the game for the Broncos is step up and, and, and stop Saquon Barkley, make limit him. If he's in the game, limit him to few touches, limit his ability to, to get out in space, to, to make plays happen. And that's going to make the defense sort of click. So that's kind of my key to the game is stopping the run, making sure that Saquon Barkley isn't that guy who you just described as the guy who could just go off, as you said. And I, mine, I'll, I'll keep with it, fast start. Absolutely. And I, I, another key to the game that I'll, that I'll add into this is we've touched on the offense. You talked, you talked about the weapons. Talked about Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Talked about the defense. The other key in all this is special teams. They cannot continue to put the offense or the defense behind the eight ball, whether it's field position, lack of tackling, whatever it is, the special teams has to start to help this team win instead of hurt it. Yeah. If they lose, I think that uh, the very first, if, if they lose, and I don't believe that they will, but if they lose, I think what you do is you fire Tom McMahon. Uh, It's still for the life of me. Don't know why he still has a job. We've been talking about how bad the special teams has been for years. At a certain point, the only guy who's still there, who you know, who's been there for the whole thing, is Tom McMahon. So, if they can't beat the Giants, I think you just fire him and move on. Uh, that might just be wishful thinking. Uh, and another quick key to the game is penalties. One of the successes from 2020 was the offensive line in particular, but they're just. In general, there weren't as many penalties. There weren't a lot of holding calls. Garrett Bowles had turned some things around, which I'd like to see that continue. It makes me a little nervous. You know, was he a one-year guy, or is this going to be his career from now on? Uh, I believe he's got it turned around, but still, you know, show me once, that's great. Show me twice, now I believe you. You know what I'm saying? So that is going to be key as well, is that they've got to limit penalties and play a clean football game. Playing a clean football game will go a long way to them being able to put up some points and being able to stop the Giants from from putting up points. That's going to be uh, incredibly important as well. Um, you got any players to watch? I and mean, we haven't we haven't done this in a, in so long that we kind of have to like get back into the group. But you got any players to watch that you're really going to focus on? Offensively, it's cliche and easy, but Teddy Bridgewater. I like it. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm going to actually go with the combination of. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. I want to see how well they run the football because the last time I really watched Javante Williams, I was very impressed. And I think Melvin Gordon has been feeding off of that in the preseason. I want to see if that continues, but if they can control the football that way, then it's going to open up a lot of plays downfield for steady Teddy to use his two gloves to throw the ball to, you know, Jerry Judy downfield or KJ Hamler on a, on a nice little, bomb to the to the end zone i something like that i I think would be fun so those are my two on offense defense i'll let you go first i'm fine with it i'm gonna go with two i'm gonna go with von miller and then pat sertan okay von miller is making his return to the regular season for the first time in two years i want to see what he looks like and then pat sertan in his first regular season game obviously he got started on the right foot with a pick six against the vikings what what is he doing against 
first-team guys now in, in his NFL debut. I, I'm excited to see both of them, and I'm curious to see the Von Miller that's on the field because, as we've said multiple times, even go back last year, there was talk that he was going to look like the, the Von Miller of that playoff run that led to Super Bowl 50. If he's anywhere near that, the Broncos are going to be a dangerous team, I think, throughout the course of the season. I'm going to piggyback off of that, and I'm going to say Von Miller, which I know you already said, and Bradley Chubb. Because I, I there has been talk. I, I tweeted about it yesterday. Uh, they mentioned it on uh, Good Morning Football, which when I have the day off, I got nothing else to do. I end up watching that show. Uh, they talked about which sack duo would have the most sacks. And I'm not making a prediction about them having the most sacks, but they mentioned Chubb and Miller haven't been on the same field at the same time playing football since 2019. I think it was week four of 2019 here we are in week one of 2021 we haven't seen them together and when Chubb was drafted the idea was we're taking Chubb with the fifth pick because we're going to pair those two guys together and you know when you grab Chubb and you you send him out there you expect there to be some action and it hasn't materialized it's been a little bit limp recently so hopefully what you will see is is Miller and Chubb really you know Really rising putting, to the occasion. Really rising to the occasion, yes. Really putting a hurt uh, on Danny Dimes. And I think it would be nice to see them get a few sacks, and that will create turnovers in the passing game because he's gonna get he's gonna start seeing ghosts. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna start feeling like he needs to to duck and cover, uh, which which I think is a good thing. I was gonna try and go with another innuendo there, and I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe we'll we gotta save some for the rest of the year. We gotta a long season ahead of us, an extra game, if you will. So uh, Michael Scott somewhere is laughing at this, but by the way, it. he loves it. it. A long, powerful chub is going to create nightmares for any quarterback. I totally, totally agree. All right. Uh, all right. You got a score prediction just for fun. I have one. I'm going to go 27, 13 Broncos. Okay. All right. We were close on that. I was 31, 13 Broncos. I'm feeling really good about this game and I probably shouldn't be, but I am. Um, Which means that you probably want to go the other way. If you're, if you're betting this game and you, (laughs) uh, because slide in a different direction here. Yeah. yeah, You you probably want to fade what you hear from us and go in a different direction or, or just run with it. Then you can blame us. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with in terms of the over under what, what do you think is, uh, I mean, we don't want to make this a betting show per se, but no, but it's not a terrible. What do you make of the over under 42? Obviously we, we think both of them are going to get close if it's 27, 13 or 30, 13. I, I mean, I, I, I'm taking I'm a the little over. bit under it. I'm, I'm a little bit over and I, which, which tells you, and this, I think this is fair. It tells you that, uh, you know, Vegas knows what they're doing because as we sit here as, as lifelong Bronco fans who have been watching football our entire lives and making predictions. And as someone who almost nailed the jets game last year, just as a reminder, I, I was like a point away from being perfect on that. A broken clock is still right two times a day. I never day. said I worked. I just said it worked that one time. Uh, uh, you know, I, I will note that that us being right around that over-under makes me feel even worse about it somehow. That makes me not want to bet it, that's yeah, for sure. I'm going to stay away from, stay away from this game. That's probably the, the smartest way to do that. I think the smartest thing to do is, I, I, I was told this, I've been covering the industry for over a year now, don't bet your team. Yeah, never bet your team. I agree with that. And in in any sport, I think that's that should be your mantra. That's that's what makes fantasy football hard. I don't want to get into a fantasy football diatribe because that's not what we're doing today, but it's hard when you see your favorite player from your favorite team and they're sitting there and nobody else is picking them. There's a reason nobody else is picking them. So, you know, sometimes you got to be careful with that as well. I, then again, my son's fantasy football league, he got Cortland Sutton in like the 14th round or something like that. So, you know, well, that makes sense. Ten-year-olds, ten-year-olds don't know what's going on. There's, there's also that. I should play in that league because yeah. I might have a better chance. I think I would, I think I would dominate that league. Quite frankly, I would dominate that league. But I'm not allowed to play, from what I understand. So, all right, let's change gears. Usually, this is where we would take a break. I don't want to take a break today. Let's just keep running. We'll do it like we do most of our shows. Well, you, you get the ads at the end. Um, and, and let's take a look at the Broncos' upcoming season. We, we talked about predictions. Uh, we made our obviously we made our game prediction for the Giants. But before we started recording, we started talking about whether or not we thought they would, um, you know, win certain games, lose certain games. 
and we ran through the schedule. And I don't know if we want to go through each and every game here, but it was—I well, don't think we need to do that. It was definitely interesting. We both were at three and zero. I think that you know, if that can obviously change after Sunday if they come out and look terrible, but. My prediction is that they're going to win their first three games this season. They're going to they're going to get three September wins for Vic Fangio in his third season to make up for him not having any up to this point. That's kind of what I see happening to start the season. What's fascinating about this is if you look beyond the Giants game, the Broncos are only a two and a half point favorite right now at DraftKings against the Jaguars, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how Trevor Lawrence does against uh, a Von Miller-led pass rush. And and we haven't even talked about like Shelby Harris and and that defensive line, that defensive front that is is going to be disruptive just like they were last year. Uh that's a that's an interesting one. I I just don't see that. I I'm, I'm not sure I buy into Urban Meyer as a head coach in the NFL yet. There's there's a lot of question marks with that Jaguars team that makes me go, yeah, the Broncos are going to win that game even on the road, even though it's on the East Coast at noon, which is all of the terrible variables that we just got done talking about for the, for the giants game that they don't fall into. They get all of those the next week when they play in Florida. Instead of going through the whole schedule, there's one game that we disagree on that is going to flip our overall wins loss record. And that's the Washington football team. I have it as a win because I think there's going to be a lot of emotion in the building that day because Mike Shanahan is going to be inducted into the Broncos ring of fame. Yeah, I, I can totally see how that would happen for me. I just, I see that game as uh, I, I look at the fact that they play the Raiders two weeks earlier at home and not for nothing. I, I think they win that game, but then they got to play the, the Browns at home. That's it's the back end of a, a three game homestand. And to me, it just feels like the Washington football team is going to be good. They've got a good defense. Chase Young and Montez Sweat are scary. Um, I'm I'm kind of a believer in Ryan Fitzpatrick in that offense. I think he's going to have a good season. Scary Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson. That's a, that's a football team that I think is on the cusp and could be uh, your NFC East champ this year. I'm not necessarily predicting that, but it would not shock me if Washington football team came out ahead. They really need to fix that. I'm bummed they're not going with the red tails, by the way. They should have. But that's you totally know, agree with that. Yeah. I mean, that was an opportunity missed, but that's what Dan Snyder's business model is. So I guess whatever. <laughs> Maybe he had uh the old ball coach Steve Spurrier help him to keep the <laughs> Washington football team name. Yeah, he like he liked that, I guess. I have no idea. But to me that's the one in that three game homestand that I, I see as a loss. I guess it's not a three I guess they go to Cleveland. So I apologize. So uh, I, I looked at that wrong, but still I, to me in that three game stretch, that's the one that I, I just, I'm not, I'm not seeing it as a win. I'm, I'm just not. I think the reason I give them the win is because they're, it's a Thursday night game against the Browns. So they're basically going to have the, the mini buy the mini buy leading into the game and it's at home and Mike Shanahan is getting inducted in the ring of fame. And there's a couple of games where it could go either way. We both have the Broncos losing on the road to the Cowboys. If they were able to come in and win that game, it would bump them up to 10 wins, at least for my overall season prediction, nine for me. And if they're, we both have the Broncos Starting the season three and zero, but book ending it going zero and three. We both have them losing to the Raiders, losing to the Chargers, losing to the Chiefs. If they're able to beat Washington, perhaps sneak a win out in Dallas, because there's going to be a lot of Broncos fans in Dallas. That's the one thing about Jerry's world is there are a lot of opposing fans that get into that stadium. So there's going to be a lot of Broncos fans. And if you remember the last time the Broncos and Cowboys played, it was that incredible duo between Peyton Manning and Tony Romo where we had the quarterback sneak where basically everyone was fooled that Peyton Manning ran it into the end zone. That's the last time the Broncos played in Dallas, by the way. If they're, able to, if they're able to sneak out a win there and then perhaps get a win over the Raiders or Chargers, I don't think they're going to beat the Chiefs this year. Maybe I mean the only way the only way they yeah. could in that last game is if Andy Reid doesn't play anybody, which he, and the he very well could play for, no one. Yeah, 
and, and then the Broncos are playing for a playoff spot. To me, that's the only way they beat the Chiefs. They're not beating them in Kansas City. We can no, it's in rule December. that out first, right now. What's the, one of the first things we look at when we look at the schedule? When do they play the Chiefs? Oh, they play on the road in December. Yeah, that's a loss. I mean, that's you immediately chuck that up as a loss because nobody beats the Chiefs in December at home. So uh, that was a bummer to see that, that they didn't get the Chiefs at least a little earlier uh, on the rest. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I don't make the schedule. So, at least for me, I have them at nine wins, so they'll be nine and eight in my prediction. But there, if they can if they can get a win over the Cowboys, and then if they could potentially sneak an upset over the Raiders, well, I guess they're the favorite right now. If they can beat the Raiders or beat the Chargers in one of those two back-to-back road games at the end of the season, that could give them eleven wins, and they could be a playoff team at that point. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about the potential of this team. We know that there's opportunity there I to me as I go through the schedule I, I try not to look at it through the you know the lenses of a Bronco fan I want to look at it as someone who is indifferent has no bias towards either team and just think about how good how good are both sides at this point and the example that we have while good in the preseason right the, the Broncos played well in the preseason that's preseason football Preseason football means really nothing. It, it, it translates only in that it gives you an idea of what you have, but it doesn't give you the full picture because nobody's playing more than just their vanilla base defense, their vanilla base offense. They're, they're not trying to do anything too crazy. They're not trying to fool anybody all that much. It's just an opportunity to practice, work on clock management. Maybe there's a game situation where you're going to go for it on fourth just because you want to work on that or you're not going to kick a field goal here or whatever it may be. An actual game has different variables. And so to me, I I just go up and down this schedule and I just see too many opportunities for losses there to make them really anything more than eight and nine. And that's what I have them predicted as. But football's a funny game and the ball is not round. It's got that weird oblong shape to it. So it bounces in a strange way and you never know What's going to happen? I contend to this day that that's a big reason why teams like the 2015 Broncos won the Super Bowl and teams like the 85 Bears won the Super Bowl or teams like, I don't know, the the Ravens and the, and the, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When you're led by a defense, you need all that luck because where are the points coming from? That's kind of what I see from this. And you cannot predict luck. It's not something you can just throw around and say, well, I, I think they're going to get lucky tonight. That's that's not something you can actually say. And so I, I look at this team and I try and take luck out of it. I don't see them as being any more than 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. So you can't have any more of that Jeff Fisher 8-8 eight and eight BS, but you can have, you know. <laughs> or 7-9. and nine. Or 7-9 BS because that's not a possibility. But 8-9, and nine, is 8-9 and nine the new Jeff Fisher? Or yes. is it Or is it 9-7 and or is it seven and 10? Does he get an extra loss or does he get an extra win? It's Jeff Fisher, so it's probably both. So one season so, it'd probably be eight and nine, and then the next year it'd be seven and ten. So he's like seven and a half and nine. That's some seven and a half and nine and a half. Jeff, that's seven and that's uh, some seven and nine and a tie. Jeff Fisher BS. That's what that is. I'm just giving him the tie. Just give him the tie. That makes it even. That seems to work out. Poor Jeff Fisher. What did he do to me? Nothing. I don't even care about that guy. But I'm not wrong. He, he was always. I mean that that. That was, I think, that was the last hard knocks I watched, and it was, oh. it was excellent. Because then we also have a guy who doesn't believe in dinosaurs, but believes in mermaids. How does that? How does that work? Like you can't, you can't get your head wrapped around dinosaurs, but you're all in on mermaids, which actually were manatees. That's what Columbus was seeing was manatees. You know that, right? Like the story of the mermaid is that what they saw were manatees, and they thought they were pretty girls with fish tails. I don't. How did we get there? <laughs> I have no idea, but I don't know if you've seen manatees before, but they're basically like cows of the water. They're like, called sea cows for a reason. They Absolutely. will find the sun and just lay there. Yeah. Yeah. We, when we were in Florida, we went kayaking and there were manatees all around. It was great. It was fun. It was neat. They did not look like mermaids. mermaids. That just not, <laughs> doesn't translate. Wow. We have, we have turned left when we should have turned right. I don't know where we went, but let's let's try and steer the ship back over here. Um, the other thing we wanted to do today, and I think this is kind of an interesting conversation, is we we're going to make some predictions. Notice how I'm going with no breaks here. Just no breaks. We're just going to keep pushing through. No commercials. That's I think right. one thing we should do before predictions, though, <clears throat> in terms of players, 
obviously we both of us think that the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. They are going to probably represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. So you always joke about it being Charger season. Yeah, I do. A lot of people think that they are the second best team in the division. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of the fact that they have the second best quarterback in the division and Justin Herbert. Certainly helps. I think you I think you're right and I think perhaps for the first time in many many a year Chargers season will somewhat translate into the regular season in that they may very well be the second best team in the AFC West. I, I don't know that it makes them a playoff team. In fact, I don't don't even think that it does, but the opportunity is there. There's that extra playoff team. That's the other thing that you have to play into that is that yep. the variables have adjusted a little bit. There's another game being played. There's, you know, an, an extra playoff team. Only one team gets a bye in the playoffs now. So it certainly changes the dynamic in that perhaps the Chargers get in based off of that, or maybe they really are that good. I just refuse to predict them being any good because it's just that's just what people do every year and then they're always wrong and then they're like oh but next year like okay well fool me once but fool me twice a fool you can't get fooled again that is a george w bush reference for those of you who don't know strategery strategery exactly strategery in terms of strategery i i think the raiders are the worst team in the division and i don't think that they will win more than seven games i think they'll finish somewhere between five Five wins and seven. I'm fine with that. I actually have them less than that. I was going to say four to six uh, because I hate them. Fine and, by me. Because yeah, <laughs> I hate them. I, I prefer they, they go 0-18. Oh, yeah. What do I know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So that being said, like you said, we've, we've both predicted the Chiefs as the uh, representative of the AFC. Uh, Is there a team that you think could potentially challenge them? Yes. <clears throat> because I had – I, I had an interesting discussion with both Johnny Avello, the sportsbook director at DraftKings, and then Jay Carnegie, Broncos fan, but also the executive vice president of operations at the Superbook. They both like the Browns. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one. I, I'm, I'm not uh, and, not there yet, but yeah, okay. And Johnny and I think Jay both, they, they also mentioned the Bills. Though I don't think Jay is as sold on the Bills as some other people. But I think those those would be two teams to keep an eye. And then obviously Baltimore. And what kind of Lamar Jackson are you going to get? Yeah, I you know what? That's I think there's too many questions around Baltimore at this point for me to predict them being a real challenger right now to the Chiefs. Things can change, obviously. The teams that I look at that could potentially challenge the Chiefs, obviously the Bills. Uh, I think I kind of agree with the Browns. But I'm going to throw another one at you that I don't, I'm not sure you were – going to anticipate and i'm going to say the tennessee titans uh you know yeah, that's a good one they've had some issues with with the covids uh recently but that's hopefully something that they will get past as the season gets underway and if derrick henry can be 90 percent of what he was last year and now they've got julio jones to throw in there with aj brown and ryan Tannehill looked like a very good quarterback in 2020 if he can carry that over and that defense can be good because it's been good. That's the team to me that, in my opinion, really has the shot at outpacing the Chiefs or at beating the Chiefs, uh, you know, in the playoffs, potentially even at home, because maybe, as you said, there's a scenario where the, the Chiefs maybe drop a game sort of randomly in a strange way like they did with the Raiders last year, uh, and then maybe the Titans slide into that number one seed by accident. And if they can get a home game against the Chiefs, that's there's your potential right there. And so I actually see the the Titans being a better challenge to the Chiefs, not by much. I think I think the Bills are still incredibly good. I think that the uh, Browns are up and coming and could be that challenger, but they're not quite there for me yet either. But but the Titans to me, that's the team that that you want to keep your eye on. And that's interesting because obviously when you look at the odds, the uh, at DraftKings, they have the Titans currently at plus 3,000. They have the Bills at plus 1,000, Ravens at plus 1,400, Browns at plus 1,600. Obviously, the Chiefs are the favorite at plus 500. But in terms of the AFC teams, the Titans are behind both the Bills, Ravens, and Browns at plus 3,000. So that could be an interesting 
market to keep an eye on or put a flyer on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Um, to me, uh, the other thing with that, if you want to go into the odds thing, I think the money I would put down on any one of those teams is still on Tennessee because it's plus 3,000. Because I'm going to get more bang for my buck there, and I, I don't yes. really believe in them over the Chiefs. I don't believe in anybody over the Chiefs. And I cannot believe I am saying that because it makes me want to vomit. I don't enjoy it, but it's the truth. Because At least in the AFC. In the AFC. I think, I think there are some teams in the NFC that could beat the Chiefs. And one of them is probably going to end up defending its championship, but that, that will be interesting. I, I think Tampa Bay obviously is the favorite in the NFC. They're right behind the chiefs right now. I think there are some teams that could challenge the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And one of them is a bit surprising that it's not the Packers, which interestingly, Jay Carnegie thinks that the Packers are going to drop off because of all of the drama and internal conflict. <clears throat> that is going on there. To me, it's the Rams. With that defense, you have Aaron Donald, who is quite possibly the best player in football, overall player in football. If Matt Stafford is able to do anything with Sean McVay's offense, that could potentially be a dangerous team. Absolutely. In fact, that's exactly where I was going to go with that. I think that Tampa Bay is clearly your front runner, which is fine, whatever. But what do we know about sports in general? It is really, really really hard to repeat as a Super Bowl champion. There have not been that many. And so I question whether or not the 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 Buccaneers can get past a Super Bowl hangover because that's that's just tough to do. Uh, you know, the Broncos did it in 98. Uh, I'm trying to think who was the last team to win back-to-back Super Bowls. I don't even remember at this point. It was probably the Patriots, so I don't want to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> it was probably Tom Brady and the Patriots, which bodes well for Tampa Bay. But – and this is, I think, the the biggest issue there. You mentioned it. A guy like Matt Stafford, who has been on bad teams for a long time, but hasn't been the reason they were bad, now playing with an actual offensive-minded coach with real weapons. I mean, yes, he had Megatron for a long time, but if that was it, that's not. I mean, you got one guy to throw the ball to? Yeah, it's maybe the greatest wide receiver of all time, but still, I could put six guys on him, and I feel just fine. So it, I'm excited for what he can do mostly because I've drafted him a couple of times. Um, so I kind of feel like that's, that's going to work uh, because I, I've put my money on him definitely as, as a really good option. He's another one of those dark horses for MVP as well. As you mentioned, I still think Tannehill's the guy you put your money on, but uh, yeah, I think, I think the Rams and the chiefs could be your, that, that to me, that's a better prediction for a super bowl than Rams, Buccaneers. I don't. I don't think that's as good a prediction. And to me, in terms of MVP, it's between three guys: Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and I think Josh Allen. And a dark horse for me is Matt Stafford because if the Titans are anything, it's going to be because of Derrick Henry. So that could be your flyer for MVP, and especially if he's able to get two thousand yards. Because to me, if if a running back gets two thousand yards. That is an automatic MVP. Yeah, you know what? I'm not sure I agree with that with an extra game. Thinking about, and I was thinking about this the other day, and I didn't bring it up with you because we hadn't talked about it, and just sort of you you saying that jars my memory of, oh, this is an interesting topic. All of those season stats, think about when, when the NFL went from 14 to 16 games, right? That changed how how important those numbers were. For example, when O.J. Simpson ran for 2,000 yards, and I know that talking about O.J. Simpson is a bit taboo because of what he is uh, to the world around him, but as a football player, that man ran for 2,000 yards in a 14-game season. That was impressive. 2,000 yards in a 16-game season was still very impressive, but not nearly as impressive as in a 14-game season. Add another game. How many guys in the last however many years you want to go back were close but needed another game to get to 2,000 yards. The number's probably not huge, but it's probably another six or seven guys that you could go back and say, if they had had 17 games instead of 16 games, they would have got there. Just like when we go back and we look at TD's 2,000-yard season, he could have rushed for 2,600 yards because of how many times he sat out the the third and fourth quarter because that's how good they were. So to me, 
if Derrick Henry rushes for 2,000 yards, people are going to celebrate it and it's going to be amazing. And if somebody else does it, people are going to get excited about it. But it, does it lose its meaning if you're playing 17 games instead of 16? I, I think it does. I don't think that it would hurt his case for MVP. I think you make a good point there. I still lean towards Tannehill as being the dark horse for MVP because he's still the quarterback. And if that offense is incredibly good and he has good stats, like better than last year, but not Patrick Mahomes stats, I think he slides into that MVP conversation over Derrick Henry because he is the quarterback. I think what it does is it shifts the final line from 2000 to 2100. I think if a running back gets 2100 yards, that's the new barometer for running backs. And if Derrick Henry gets 2100, he's the MVP. Just just hand him the trophy and and move on to to what's going on next. All right. Yeah. Um okay, so we've done MVP. Let's let's look at defensive player of the year. Who do you got for defensive player of the year? Aaron Donald. Okay, so we don't have to talk about that anymore. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Von Miller. Von Miller has potential, but he'd have to get over twenty sacks. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean that, that's literally the only way an edge rusher can get it because Von. I mean, Aaron Donald is a freak. He, I mean, the guy can be blocked by three guys and he's still going to beat it. Exactly. Well, and, and Shaq Barrett had what was it, nineteen and a half? He didn't get defensive player of the year. I mean. Yeah, because it's Aaron Donald. It's Aaron, it's Aaron Donald. It's, it's, it's the Aaron Donald award. We are living in Aaron Donald's world, and we're just lucky that he's not trying to run us over. I think that is the the, the best thing to say there. 100%. So, so we've got defensive player of the year out of the way. What about offensive player of the year? I think it goes back to that. I mean, it's the same MVP conversation, right? Yeah. Exactly. It, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Derrick Henry, Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford's fascinating because he's got that defense. So he could literally do what Matt Stafford does. I mean, and he's been a decent quarterback. It's not like he's been bad. He he can do some great – I mean, he's got some weapons there with Cooper Cup and Cup Robert and Woods. Woods. Yep. Sean Jackson is there now for the deep threat. Daryl Henderson looks good out of the backfield. So there's potential that Matt Stafford could – squeak his way into the conversation for MVP and offensive player of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's, let's look at the rookies. I don't want to do comeback player of the year because I think it should be Von Miller, but it won't be because he's not a quarterback. Yeah. It'll be Dak Prescott. It'll be Dak Prescott because he is a quarterback and he's a cowboy and all he has to do is throw one touchdown pass and, and they'll say he's the, he's the comeback player of the year. So I don't even want to talk about that. The one, the one, the one player who could potentially steal it from him is Joe Burrow. True, because he's also a quarterback. Correct. So yeah. And he has some weapons around him. This is this is also very true. And so it helps to have some weapons and be a quarterback, I suppose. I don't think he has an offensive line in front of him though. That could be the issue. And uh might be a scary one for a guy who's got a big old scar on his knee from the surgery he had to have. But that's uh that's not my business. Uh offensive rookie of the year, you got one? I I think Javante Williams has significant probability to get it because if he looks like he did in the preseason you can't take him off the field i don't care how good melvin gordon is if javante williams looks like he did in the preseason he's not going to get off the field and you have i mean teddy bridgewater last week he i mean he didn't want to throw out pressure he he legitimately said i don't know if i want to say this but he reminds me of alvin Kamara. i mean Really? That's uh I mean I've I've said that that Josina Anderson had the NFL personnel person say that he looked like Christian McCaffrey, uh, Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara. If he is that, he will win the that, NFL offensive rookie good? of the year. <laughs> I hear you say that I'm like, is that good? I don't know if that's good or not. Yeah, no, that's good. That's uh that's an incredible comparison. You know, the other direction you go there it's Trevor Lawrence. It's Zach Wilson. It's one of the quarterbacks. It's if Justin Fields gets on the field uh, early enough and it has a huge impact, those guys are going to have, you know, they're going to have the votes because of the markets that they play in, the teams that they play on, where they were drafted, the hype that comes behind them. So to, to me, if Javante Williams is going to break into that particular conversation, he's going to have to have an insane year. And those, and none of those three guys are going to be any good at all. That's going to be kind of what's going to have to happen there. And 
I, I would be fine with that. If they all wanted to just play terrible their you know, rookie years and let Javante Williams win it, that'd be great. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, though. Uh, defensive rookie of the year? I will say the likely okay. pick is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that's that's the in all probability. Yeah, absolutely. And then the obvious mainly because of the hair. I just that's really why I wanted them to be able to draft him. They just didn't play it right. I guess that's that's it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. More than likely, Micah Parsons. But again, not to be a homer, but Pat Sertan. So, you know, I th- I believe more in Pat Sertan than I do in Micah Parsons. And I know that it's sort of silly because Michael Parsons plays in a position where he's going to have more impact on more plays. I get where you go with that, but to, but to think about how good the Broncos secondary could be, what are your options? Am I going to throw at you know Kyle Fuller? Am I going to throw at, you know, am I going to throw at Bryce Callahan? Am I going to throw at this guy? Am I going to throw at that? You know, I got so many options, but then you got a rookie over there. I'm going to throw at the rookie. I'm going to throw at Pat Sertan. Oh, that's a terrible idea. And, and I think that that's where he potentially gets enough interceptions to be in the conversation. But you're right. A Cowboy linebacker who's going to be in on almost every play, it's hard to argue with Michael Parsons there. I would have been fine if the Broncos had drafted Michael Parsons, but they didn't. And I'm, you know, what, do you, what are you going to do? I, they got a, a decent backup in terms of Pat Sertan, in terms of Sure. Wanted Michael Parsons. I mean, so. if they weren't going to draft a quarterback, they got they got one of the two guys that I think was the best fit for them and what they needed. So, totally fine with that. Uh, anything else we got to jump on here? I, I think just the fact that I'm curious to see how the the Teddy Bridgewater era commences and do they start with a win or do they continue this hat trick of not winning in September? Yes, the old September slide. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.